this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Sam Goodman, the Hot Nerd, bringing you another episode of the Hot Nerd Podcast, coming to you from the sunny and the beautiful downtown Phoenix, Arizona. I hope that you are doing absolutely wonderful wherever you find yourself in this big, wild, crazy, wonky, and whacked out world. Things are going absolutely awesome here. As you know, as you know, we have the new book out, Safety Sucks, The Manifesto. Make sure you head over, check that out. If that's something that sounds like it would be right up your alley. Uh, if you enjoyed the first Safety Sucks, Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about, I've got a feeling that you're going to like this one, that you're going to love this one, that you're going to need a little bit more of this one. This one takes a much deeper dive, and it's not just pointed at the safety practice or you know, safety practice. Yeah, I guess the professional practitioner of occupational safety and health. It kind of touches on that, but it goes a little more broad and touches on how we can make safety at work suck just a little bit less overall. So again, you can find that on Amazon, anywhere that you find books. We've been talking about it a bunch. If you do pick it up and you read it and you like it, you love it, uh, you hate it, you can't stand it, whatever, make sure you head over to Amazon and you let us know. Leave us some stars, leave us some reviews. It is always, always much appreciated along with anything that you can do for the podcast as far as ratings, reviews, shares. Uh, it quite literally helps keep the lights on around here. And what I mean by that, it is allows me to continue Continue to bring you all of this awesome, fun, cool content, if I do say so myself, uh, completely and totally free, which is super duper good, right? I mean, that, that's that's even better. Like cool stuff for free is even better. So if you're looking for a way to support the podcast, head over, pick up the books, Safety Sucks the Bullshit and the Safety Profession. They don't tell you about Safety Sucks the Manifesto or any of the other stuff that we have over there. If you want to pick up some merch, you can do that on our website as well. And again, if you're looking for a handy dandy, super cool way that we appreciate even more, just as much, if not more, uh, a way to support the podcast. Uh, and this is what we've got going on here. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you're subscribed to the pod. Make sure you like, you review, you do all that kind of stuff sort of stuff. And when you do, thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot say that enough. Thank you so very much from the bottom of my heart. And make sure you head over to the website, www.thehopner.com. Follow along on all things social media. All that stuff helps us a ton. So a while back, I flew out. I, I was jet-setting. I've been jet-setting a lot lately, it seems like, as our kind of world uh, starts to morph to kind of a more normal, I, I guess, I guess normal is maybe not the right word, but I hate this new normal thing. I don't, I don't know what to call it, but as the world gets back to business, let's just say that as we get back to getting shit done, uh, in at least a familiar way, uh, I've been flying around a bunch. I've been doing a lot of traveling. I've been doing a lot of virtual stuff, but not just virtual stuff, going out and doing some events and, doing some stuff with the book, and it's just been an absolute blast. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to meet a lot of you all. I mean, the conversations that we've had to, that I've had the opportunity to experience after these events have been absolutely phenomenal. Just to get to put a face to a name, you know, a lot of folks we communicate a lot online, to get to put a face to a name, to meet some new people, and to get to have some really, like, deep and meaningful conversations and create connection within this community has just 
been great. It's just been great. I'm, I'm still browsing. I'm still looking around for some more events to do this year. We'll see how that goes. Uh, if you want to have me come out and chat with you or your folks, whether it's a, an event or, uh, you know, something at your company, whatever, whatever. I, I'm just down to have a good time. So <laughs> you know how to find me, Sam at thehopner.com, www.thehopner.com, all that kind of sort of stuff. Just reach out, reach out. We can always make something work. So let me know. And what I wanted to talk about today is a little bit of I'm going to do a little bit of the presentation. Oh, that's probably not the right way to say it. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the presentation that I gave to the ACFS down in the sunny and the beautiful Orlando, Florida. Um, you can head over. If you haven't checked it out, there should be a vlog up by this point, at least, uh, where I maybe have some of that there. You can see some of our trip down to Florida and all that kind of sort of fun stuff. Um, but it was just fun. Those folks really know how to put on a safety shindig. Not only was it cool and it was fun and there was a ton of great people there. Um, and I'll even say this, the vendors were super cool. Like, and I, I'm hopefully I'm not being too like pointed here or anything, but usually like going to these kind of things, like the vendors are like my least favorite part because I don't like buy a bunch of safety stuff. <laughs> They're probably valuable for the companies that are there, but even the vendor exhibits, I was like, that's a really cool thing. So they just did a phenomenal job in pulling together a great, great lineup of speakers and guests and panels and just cool people. And they did it all for 30 bucks. And I've got a feeling they're going to do it again next year. And so I, I don't want to say they're going to, cause I don't, I don't want to speak for them. But I'll just say I got a feeling that it's going to happen again next year. Um, so go check them out. I'm sure next year they'll bring you just as powerful, if not better of a lineup. So today I wanted to kind of dive into some of the topics that I talked about there a little bit. And just use it as a podcast. I figured that, you know, at some point I'll probably like pull the audio from some of the video that we shot and just share with you the uh, the actual presentation or the actual kind of speaking thing, the storytelling. But uh, I'm too lazy right now to do that. So I just wanted to share with you this. I was starting to convert it. It's going to take like 17 hours because the footage is like 40 gigs and that's not fun. Um, but really what I wanted to do is this. Let me, let me just run through some of kind of what I shared there. And I, I would like to start with this. You know, some of you out there know my story, some of you don't. So I think this is a really good good place to start and a good place to kind of rewind if you don't feel like going all the way back to the beginning of the podcast and kind of listen to who I am and where I come from. Um, but you, most of you know me as the hot nerd. You know me as the hot nerd. You know me as some of you call me safety sucks Sam, I guess. That's, that's a thing. <laughs> but most of you know me as like this podcaster and this author and kind of this safety dude that does kind of hop stuff. Um, I grew up in a very traditional organization, organizations um, that were focused very heavily on traditional safety, and I won't take a deep dive into that. You know what that feels like. You know what that looks like. Um, but a few years into my safety journey, I was very much ready to walk away from it completely. Uh, I was just tired. Like I was tired of the way we were treated as safety practitioners, that we were supposed to be like these all-knowing gurus, like these folks that just magically swoop in with magic safety powder and fix stuff that we were expected to work near endless hours, a lot of them that were unpaid, that we were you know, supposed to be this kind of grand fixer of shit that goes wrong in the organization, that we're supposed to be there forever and always, ever ready to like swoop in and acutely fix problems. You know, I, I was done with, with falling on my sword, you know, basically being nailed to the cross for the sins of the organization any time that we have something not great happen. I was tired of being that source of blame. I was tired of spinning my wheels uh, with kind of ever more useless traditional approaches to safety that at this point, you know, after the, the kind of green wears off, you're like, oh, this is bullshit. Like I, you just kind of have that kind of moment 
as you're going through this, especially when you go from like the first couple years of practicing safety, you know, in the real world, and then you go, oh, okay, I see now. It doesn't, you don't really care. Like it, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as like, it doesn't matter if we're fixing stuff or making stuff better. It's just that it looks like we're fixing stuff and making stuff better. So I, I was done, right? I mean, here you can hear my, my coffee. You guys have grown accustomed to this. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Super early here at the studio. I got to chug this stuff. <laughs> but it's like, it's like 5.05 a.m. here. But I, I remember the day very clearly. Like, I was walking back. I'd, been, I'd already been at the site that I worked at for like 16 hours that day. I'd spent like all day in the field trying to be magic safety Sam, um, you know, trying to fix all the world's problems. Uh, I'd learned to do that by this point because I didn't want to, you know, get beat to death for naught. Um, I was just coming back from the, the site kind of leadership building um, from as high as the floors go, you know, coming back to my little tiny cube uh, in a building far, far away that I shared with a couple other people, um, some safety folks, some not, some, some old school human performance people. We all kind of got one cube to split amongst us. Um, and I was just coming back and I was coming back from a meeting uh, where I basically had to try to convince the leadership team to not fire, to not shit can an employee for not paying enough attention because they had tripped over thin air in the parking lot and fell down and, and they broke something. Um, and because they broke something, it was super duper bad and, you know, it was recordable and it might be lost time. And that person should have paid more attention because now the company has to suffer. So now we're going to make that person suffer by taking away their job. Um, we're going to meet hurt with hurt. And I'm, I'm walking back and I'm like, fuck this. I was just done. I was just done. All that kind of stuff came to a head. This is like four or five years into my, my journey as a safety practitioner. Um, I already had like a box under my desk. I already had like a half drafted resignation letter ready to go. And in my head, I'm like, I, I remember this thought. I remember a couple thoughts. And the thoughts were this, that I want to do anything other than this. <laughs> that was kind of the first one. I was like, I will do anything, anything other than this job. And that thought came from this idea that this other thought that I had just wasted four or five years of my life doing something that was bullshit that I had just wasted a, five years is a good chunk of time. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that might not seem like a lot, but five years is a good chunk of time to feel that you just gave away to some organizations that you just gave away in pursuit of something that didn't really matter to them that that really there was it was just it was just awful it was awful right just soul crushing soul crushing to come to that realization and I, as i walked into my little cube there you know i went to pull out my chair and i'm not sure what it's like other places but at least in like the power plant power generation world i'm assuming it's like this most places your chair is kind of like the real intra office mail right like you have like your little mailbox but nobody uses it if they want you to find something they'll typically put it in your chair so I pull out my chair and I look down and there's this like thick, wonky looking book laying there. And as I kind of glance down at it and it kind of comes into focus, I realize that it says safety differently. And it's by a dude named Sidney Decker. <laughs> Wait a second. Got a coffee time here since we're doing story time. I hope everyone's got their coffee on deck. And if it's past quitting time, hopefully you have something a little more potent than that. But to fast forward a little bit, this book set my world on fire in the bestest in the greatest of ways because uh, it made me realize a couple of things that you know that number one I wasn't alone like people were just as fed up with these 
kind of ever more useless approaches to safety as I currently was, that folks were out there having this conversation, a conversation that, you know, at the time in the organizations I'd worked for would have been complete corporate blasphemy just to say something like all accidents are not preventable would have immediately had me drug out into the power block of a power plant, strung up and shot, <laughs> right? Like it, it would have been bad. I would have been near instantly jobless because of some conversation around, well, you don't care if you feel that way. And it would, it would have been terrible. But it completely changed my life. And it sent me down this path of pursuing all things safety better, trying to make safety suck at the very least, just a little bit less. And it all started with that book, Safety Differently. That led me into hundreds at this point, God knows how many hundreds of books at this point of just digging and digging and digging. And, and, and that led to the podcast and that led to the YouTube channel and that led to my own books that we've already talked about that, you, you know, that led to all of that. But my point here is that it almost never happened. Like it almost never happened. Thankfully, a friend kind of seen what I was going through and had started down this journey a few months prior to me and decided to leave that book there. I'm not saying that it wouldn't have happened, that I wouldn't have found it another way. Who knows? But I was done. And realizing that we could do things differently made me want to not be done anymore. It made me want to stay and fight and make things differently, do things differently. And this kind of fast forwarding again, I'm jumping around a little bit, but you know, years later, I'm working for what I often describe as a unicorn employer, one that, you know, has its fair share of problems, but is very forward thinking, you know, understands the role at least a lot better of what a safety professional should do, how they can make an impact, what they should be trying to impact, those kind of things. Again, still some suck there. There always is. But a unicorn, a unicorn, a unicorn employer. Um, and I found myself already, you know, a few months into having a podcast, a few months into everything else. The book wasn't even a thought yet. But I sit down and I wrote an article as I kind of reflected back on some of those struggles that I had early on as a safety practitioner. And that article is still up on LinkedIn somewhere called The Six Sucks of the Safety Profession. And, oh, my God, like the 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 outpouring of of emails and text messages. Yes, I'm the lunatic that has my cell phone number on the internet. Text messages and DMs and just you name it. I think somebody might have even like sent me a fax at some point or a telegraph. I don't know. It was crazy. Like people were contacting me left and right. And this drew me to a couple other kind of like grand epiphanies. You know, these stories, they were so similar to mine. Uh, and some made me laugh, some made me cry. And they all kind of pissed me off. Um, but it made me realize a couple things. Number one is that, yes, Safety sucks. It shouldn't. We have one of the most badass jobs on the planet, or we should. But it, it does suck, not only for the practitioner, but for the people that our programs and our existence is supposed to actually help. Safety freaking sucks. Um, from there, you know, these stories made me realize that the suck is systemic. It's, it wasn't just isolated to me. That's a feeling that you get a lot, especially when you're a lone wolf safety practitioner, that it's just you. You're just a horrible safety person. Uh, if you were just a better safety person, and again, the organization is tuned to make you feel like this. That's the way we kind of treat people in general. That if you were just a better person in general, a better safety person, then you would make a better impact. That you would be stopping and pre magically predicting and preventing these bad things from happening. So it made me realize that it wasn't just me. I wasn't alone. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And it led me to this kind of final conclusion that this shit's got to change. Something has to change. We should have one of the most badass jobs on the planet. It's awesome. Why does it have to suck? 
it shouldn't. It shouldn't suck. Something has to change. This is kind of where I hit that moment of like, uh, you know, fight or flight. And I'm, I decided at this point that I'm going to freaking fight. And I dedicate a good portion of each and every day to exactly that. A fight to make the professional practice of safety and health suck less. A fight to make safety suck less overall. To make safety actually, I don't know, try to do it better <laughs> to, to, to try to actually create something that has a positive impact on the people that we're supposed to be helping. I, I don't know. I, 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 that's where I kind of landed. And that's where I'm still going. Chug a lug a lug, marching forward, trying to make safety suck less. That led to the book, that article quickly kind of spun into a book on accident where it was one of those things where I, I you know, early riser here I am at like five thirty or something now. And you know, super early, the sun's not even up yet. I start writing this follow-up article to The Six Sucks, and then I look out, and the sun's going down again, and I've written, like, a bunch of words. And then so that kind of became a book by accident. And then now, obviously, the second edition of that, and then the new book, Safety Sucks, The Manifesto. Um, it, all of that led me to that point. All of those experiences led me to that point of saying, we need to do something different, and it might as well be me, right? If, if, if not me, then, then who's it going to be? It might as well be me. But a lot of the sucks that I'd experienced at that point came from this kind of overarching view of the safety practitioner. At the time, I didn't really dig deeper into really understanding where that came from. But this kind of exposed definition of the practitioner was the practitioner being viewed as this all-knowing guru, this selfless sacrificer, this soothsayer and predictor of, of accidents and fixer of company woe. This person that's supposed to be an expert in nearly anything and everything. Uh, basically, the easy button you know, for the organization that, here, give me my answer. Here, uh, my hand's out. Give me an answer. What, what, what do you mean you don't know, you know, that the OSHA regulations around toilet tissue placement apply and thickness? We have breakthrough issues on the toilet paper. Safety, fix it. Right? The selfless sacrificer that's supposed to be there forever and always and basically never sleep, never leave, never take PTO, work 17, 18 hours a day on site and then be at home for a few hours. But your phone ringing all night as well. This person that is supposed to exchange their well-being or give up their well-being in exchange for maybe the increased well-being of, of the workforce. It's just that. Right? This person is supposed to fall on their sword and take the beatings for the sins of the organization. Uh, this soothsayer and predictor of accidents, this person that goes out and is supposed to pull together all mostly useless, let's just say that, mostly useless data sources of behavior-based observation of this and how many times did people do that and did people list tying their shoes on their pre-job breeze and to pull all of this stuff together and go two plus seven observations plus three bad behaviors plus this, and then divided by the, the how much we care as a company equals, uh, there it is. We're next Tuesday at 3.43 p.m., we're going to have a catastrophic event uh, to, to be that person. And then ultimately be this fixer of anything that the company thinks that we should fix, right? That, that, that grand predictor, this fixer of company woe, any pain point for the organization, whether it's safety-related, even close to being safety-related, and sometimes completely not, you're going to be the fixer of the company's problems. And so what we really find is that the practitioner takes on nearly anything and everything that's safety or kind of sort of, or maybe not. <laughs> right? And what it really results to is this idea that this, what we talk about in the book, Safety Sucks the Manifesto, is this junk drawer effect. As safety professionals, we live inside of the junk drawer. It's the home for stuff that the company doesn't know where to put elsewhere or stuff that we've convinced ourselves that is really, really important that we just can't part with. Stuff that maybe is junk, but we think we need. We toss in that junk drawer. I mean, most of you probably have one, at least one junk drawer at your house. I think I have more than one. I think I have a couple in maybe each room. <laughs> 
<laughs> that gives you an insight into my my pack rat ways. Um, but the problem with the junk drawer, you think about your junk drawers at home, right? Nearly anything and everything ends up in that freaking junk drawer, right? The problem with that is, though, is that buried underneath the, the battery covers for remotes that you haven't owned since 1983 and batteries that are nearly just as old, loose batteries that you're just convinced that if you just lick them before you stick them, then you might get a little bit more juice out of them. Buried under all of that crap and loose change and this that you picked up at that, you know, and some little like business cards and this and those random screwdrivers and bits from Ikea furniture that you totally put together right. Underneath all that stuff, there could be like a fresh, crisp $100 bill, or there could be a check that you forgot to cash, or there could be uh, a bill that is way past due that you should have paid with that $100 bill or that check that you should have cashed, but you never see it because it's covered up in crap. It's covered up in fool's gold. It's covered up in, in trash that we've painted gold and that we pretend is treasure. So the important things get pushed down and missed. And if everything is super important, we get to this point to where nothing is really important. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about where that comes from. Let's let's take a little bit deeper dive into just some general assumptions about safety at work in general and kind of how we find ourselves at this junk drawer place. Um, we view that as far as assumptions go, we assume that all, that that all incidents incidents, that's the magic word, you can't say accidents, all incidents are preventable. And we believe that by closely examining those smaller incidents, that it allows us and examining and preventing those smaller incidents, that it allows us to predict and prevent larger incidents on the horizon. And we kind of couple this with some ideas that if people just followed the rules, nothing bad would happen. If people just didn't have error anymore, then nothing bad would happen. And what we ultimately say is that safety is the absence of negatives, right? Whether that's the behavior or the accidents themselves, we say that safety is the absence of negative stuff at work in general. If we just finally get rid of all the negative stuff, especially at the lower levels, then the big negative stuff can't happen. So safety is the absence of accidents. The presence of accidents equals unsafe. The, 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 the absence of accidents equals safe. So what we ultimately get to the point of is saying that we value zero. If we can finally just get to zero, then all will be well, all will be fine, and nothing big and bad will happen. But, but where we find ourselves is this. We assume ultimately that safety is not going to be managed. So we view it and, and we define it as the absence of negative occurrences, and we seek that desired state of zero. We think that zero is what leads to safety utopia. So as with any, any, any professional uh, whether it's safety or not, um, working for any organization, we typically work to support that organization's values. That's kind of how we get our paycheck and, and keep our jobs, right? So the safety practitioner works towards that value of zero. The safety practitioner becomes the manager of safety. The practitioner tries tries to manage safety. So outcome-based safety, along with our commonly held beliefs about the role of the practitioner, it results in the safety professional managing towards that value, towards that big old goose egg, towards that zero, which for us, this is kind of leading back to how we find our at the junk drawer and how we find this kind of more commonly defined role, shitty commonly defined role as a practitioner, it results in what we call around these parts as safety, fix it. Safety, fix it. The toilet paper's out. Safety, fix it. Oh, this program, we don't know what to do with it, but we think it's kind of sort of safety. You know, this program on like how we like test and rate chairs that we use in our lunchrooms, that's safety, put, throw it in the junk drawer. The practitioner's role as a fixer and manager of outcomes is solidified. Nothing can be left untouched by the hands of safety. Safety is everywhere and so must be the safety practitioner. But where does that lead us? Like, wh what actually happens? And I think we have to say this, that 
traditional approaches, th- those are very traditional beliefs around safety. But they've, on- they've, they've only taken us so far. We've drawn some wonky assumptions that by doing them harder, more aggressively, faster, better, that something will change. Dramatic pause. We think that doing them harder will take us farther. But it only gives us what we've really kind of gotten so far. But yet we continue to double down on their use and insist that by doubling down on their use, they'll be doubly effective. We, when, when it all hits the fan, we continue to double down on safety insanity, doing the same old safety stuff, just harder and faster, and expecting a different result. So when the poop eventually finds a fan, when the shit creeps across the room and finds the fan, when it hits the fan and it splatters all over the walls, we just do the same old things. We just do them harder. When we get to this point of picking the easy path or the hard path, the easy, less effective path, or the hard, much more effective path, when we get to this point of pitting those buttons, of the easy button of saying, tell people to try harder, tell people to be better, tell safety to be there more often, tell, tell our leaders to observe and oversight harder, tell people to not have error more, less often, versus learn and looking back into our systems and understanding that all of this stuff comes from somewhere, understanding that our systems are perfectly tuned to give us the results that we're getting instead of doubling down on learning the hard button. We go, hit the easy button, tell people to, tell people to try harder. <laughs> right? that's, that's exactly where we find ourselves because it's easy. It's seductively simple. It seems morally sound on the surface, but it never works. We just double down on safety and sanity. You know, humans have a very long history of doing wildly dumb things for extremely long periods of time, and safety is no different. The point here is is that humans have a very long history of doing wildly dumb safety things for extremely long periods of time, and I think we're we're better at that because it's in the name of safety than other things, right? We believed wacky things for a really long time as human beings, right? Some evil and vile things we've believed as human beings. But the point is, is that we have found ourselves believing that, you know, arsenic and mercury were great at curing diseases that and if they didn't we should just like give you more right we believed that mercury in particular was great at curing sexually transmitted diseases and could grant you near immortality that if people traveled over 30 miles per hour that they would suffocate to death that asbestos and lead should be put in practically anything and everything we believed that tobacco smoke enemas you heard me right blowing literally blowing smoke up people's asses we believed that that was just an awesome cure for a ton of different things fortunately we evolved. We grew. We learned. We're not doing so much of that, it seems like, in safety nowadays. Our ideologies around safety are near crystallized. We can't see beyond them. We can't see any other truth other than the, 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 what we believe to be true. So we continue to double down on those things. If we approach uh, tobacco smoke enemas the same way that we currently approach safety as far as innovation and creativity and, and trying to do things differently or better, we would probably never even have the conversation just for bringing it up for a very long amount, of, at least in the, the not-so-far-back-there history, just bringing up doing safety things differently would near, nearly get you crucified. Right? It would nearly get you crucified. If we approach safety stuff the same way, or if we approach tobacco smoke enemas the same way that we approach safety stuff, when the person finally succumbed to their illness or maybe the tobacco smoke itself, who knows? Again, tobacco smoke is supposed to be good for you, according to this. Uh, don't, don't, don't take that seriously. But we would just say when it fails, 
we would say, well, we just didn't blow the smoke hard enough up their ass. Next time we'll blow even more and blow it harder and then it'll be fine. Or we'd say something just as stupid or, or more stupid. Of, of Well, if people were just more aware of the benefits of t- tobacco smoke enemas, then they would get more and they would use them more frequently and, the, the, and the, everything would be fine then. It's funny when we think about it as tobacco smoke enemas. But just replace tobacco smoke enema with safety. That's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. So where do we go? Like, how do we actually change stuff? Because just talking about it doesn't really do a bunch. I mean, let me, let me, let me back up and say, talking about it does a lot. But how do we actually get the change to stick? How do we actually move forward? Because just changing some words or just changing some definitions, even just changing, completely rewriting, rewriting the definition of the safety practitioner, only does so much. We have to target the underlying assumptions that lead to those beliefs. So let's start with just a handful, just a couple of better assumptions. Let's just say that failure will occur, that it's not the root of all evil, that it's going to happen, that safety is not a zero, that it's actually the presence of positives, it's not the absence of negatives. Let's lean into this idea that learning is everything. Let's go through this idea of saying that, let's just let's say this, let's say that we assume that safety is the presence of defenses or controls or stuff that help to, helps to generate better outcomes, that is not defined by a number, that is the ability to fail and recover with hopefully minimal outcome, and that we build defenses, we build controls through learning. Learning how normal work occurs is vital to understanding missing, weak, flawed, or degrading defenses and controls, which results in the organization, rather than valuing zero, starting to value learning above all else. We value learning because it becomes widely understood and accepted that learning is the only real tool that we have to create safety. So what does that do just on the practitioner side of things? It completely rewrites the definition. If you just close your eyes, and don't do that if you're driving. I always have to put in like the PSA here, safety, safety Sam, safety dude. If you're driving, don't close your eyes. It's a really bad idea. Um, but <laughs> it's, it completely, if you just close your eyes and think about what changes in your organization, especially if you're coming from a more traditional-based organization, as far as worker safety and as far as the role of the, the professional practitioner of occupational safety and health, nearly everything changes. The definition would be wildly different. We find ourselves viewed more as a communicator, a facilitator, a, a team member, a team builder, a curious innovator, a curious creator, a curious person with an obsession for learning about work, a curious person, an evangelist for organizational betterment and just doing things better, making things suck a little bit less. But to get there, we have to embrace this idea of risky innovation. It scared us for a really, really long amount of time. This idea that we lean into, where a lot of this comes from, is this idea of safe mediocrity, that there's safety in stasis, that if we can just beat our way to that zero, to the line, and then hold that line, then safety utopia will be ours. But it never quite works that way. There's actually a really good case of saying that by doubling down into safe mediocrity versus risky innovation, that it's not, it's worse. Right? It, it's, in our mind, we fool ourselves to believe that it's more safe, but it's not, because what we're really saying is that we're accepting the output of our system. When we say that we're going to just do the same things harder, that we're just going to stick with what we know, when we're going to avoid creativity and risky innovation, and we're just going to embrace safe, air quotes, safe mediocrity, what we're really saying is that we're committing to killing and maiming people at whatever consistent rate that we already do. We're just accepting that we're not going to get better. We're doubling down into not getting better. So risky innovation isn't really all that risky, especially as it's compared to safe mediocrity. The problem with safe mediocrity, in addition to this idea that we're just accepting that output, that we're doing really nothing to change it, and we're just accepting that we're going to kill and maim people at a consistent rate with frequency, um, 
it's this. We assume that there's this like la la land in between better and worse that exists. That's that's the zero. That's the line. That if we can just get to that kind of safe area of stasis and just hold that space, then everything will be okay. But we have to draw a couple better assumptions about what that middle thing is. I would like to just tell you that it doesn't exist, but everybody's going to go, duh, same like there is like a flat line somewhere, like it's going to exist. Yeah, it, it does. But let's draw some assumptions about it. Because in our mind, we just think better or worse. And then in the middle, again, is like safety utopia where everything's perfect. But it's this. That middle space, that fence post that we want to sit on in between better and worse, that's where create creativity and innovation go to die. Nothing good comes from right in the middle. And, and, we're in a constant state of degradation. So when we think we're, we're, we're just riding. When we think we're just sitting there perfectly still and nothing bad's gonna happen, we're actually getting worse. So what it really sounds like is more of this. When we're getting better, we're getting better. When we're staying the same, we're getting worse. When we're getting worse, we're getting worse, <laughs> right? So this idea of safe mediocrity, there's only one correct word for it, and it's bullshit. Right? We don't want to continue to double down into safety and sanity. We don't want to continue to double down into safe mediocrity. We don't want to continue to just accept that output for what it is because that's really what we're doing. What we really have to double down into is innovation. And I say risky innovation because all innovation comes with risk. All progress comes with risk. When we identify something that sucks, insert anything that sucks here, we need to learn as much as we possibly can about it. We need to learn as much as we possibly can about it before we try to fix it. We need to learn. We need to try. We need to be prepared to fail because we're going to. We need to fail. And then we need to learn some more. And then we need to repeat. So learn, try, fail, learn, repeat. Learn, try, fail, learn, repeat. And slowly, as we're just going through that cycle, we should be slowly inching outward away from the suck and towards betterment. But where I really found myself and what I really want to share with you is this. I always find myself back at this statement, and it's WTFRM. What the fun, fun, get your minds out of the gutter, oh my God, what the fun really matters? We need to ask ourselves that. When we're talking about the role of the practitioner, when we're talking about what we should be focusing on as practitioners, when we're talking about the role of the organization and what we should be focusing on within anything, really anything, but we're, we're going to stick with safety, what should we be focusing on? What should we be investing our time and energy into? What actually matters? Like, we need to have some serious serious conversation and serious thought put into that. Because for so long, safety has just been viewed as this thing that everything in safety is super duper important must be treated as such. Back to the junk drawer. Just put it all in there. And if we want better safety, we need to do the same things harder and better. And if that's not working, we just need to do more. So let's take some like stuff that's kind of like what we've done, but just kind of really the same and just do more safety to make safety better. We need a prioritized hit list rather than a prioritized safety shit list. We need a couple things that we can be really, 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 really good at. The few things that we can actually influence and influence them positively to create betterment. When you come up with those, and that's going to probably look different for just about everybody, our approach has to be right. And there's only two things. There's only two things that I since this whole thing has kind of kicked off with podcasting and writing and everything else, there's only two things that I've really pulled out that I, I, I hope you take somewhat prescriptively. And it's this. Start from a place of trust rather than distrust and do things with people rather than to people. For so long, 
all of our safety systems, all of our processes, all of our rules or check sheets, every, most things in our organization, we start from a place of not trusting people. We don't trust people to do the right things. So we're going to prescribe to them how to do the right things. We start from a place of distrust. Nothing good grows from starting from that starting position. And it leads me to another question that I ask organizations all the time and that I would encourage you to ask of yourself uh, if you're starting from this place of distrust or to ask to your organization if your organization is starting from this place of distrust. Is if, if we don't trust these people that, we, that work for us, why the hell did we hire them to begin with? Uh-uh. <laughs> right? So start from a place of trust rather than distrust. Do things with people rather than to people. For so long, we viewed safety as something that is to be done to people. That me... Me, smart safety person, will do safety to you, dumb worker. Or as the organization, I know the best way to do this because I'm the leader. I'm the organization. I'm going to prescribe to you how to do this. I shall tell you what to do. And what we really need, rather than this idea of doing stuff to people, we need to be doing things with people. We need to double down on this idea that our people hold the answers. That, that those folks at the pointy end of the organization, those folks that actually get shit done, they're the ones that actually know how to get shit done, not us. We need to learn from them. We need to come together and do things together. We together safely, not me doing safety to you. What do you think about it? What do you think about it? I covered this presentation, and I, I am pulling from one of my more recent presentations that I did for the ACFS down in Orlando, and I covered it much more in depth. I just kind of kind of did a little little pew-pew shooting from the hip and winging this one because I just wanted to share with you some of my thoughts that I pulled together. Um, and I don't know. I think it come out okay. Let me know what you think about it. Sam at thehopnerd.com. Head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media. Make sure you pick up Safety Sucks, and when you do, let me know what you think about it. If you like it, love it, hate it, got to have more of it, got to have a whole lot less of it if you want to burn it. You know, whatever. If you, know, you want to burn it, post it on social media. I think that'd be kind of cool. Um, and let me know. But if you like it, love it, hate it, got to have more of it, got to have less of it, just want to get rid of it, whatever. Leave us a review on Amazon. Ian and I always greatly appreciate that. Uh, that's all I've got. Until next time, Sam Goodman, The Hot Nerd, signing off. <gasps> Bye, everybody. Bye.